0: Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message about God's sovereign grace.
1: God is sovereign over all of salvation, not just the moment that you chose him, but all the fruit that comes as a result of that choice as well, that God is ordaining and working and active and purposing. And he did that before the foundations of the world, that he chose to love you way back then and to work in your life and to work through you and to bear fruit to his glory.
0: Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt. I'm Tim Svoboda. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that before the foundation of the world, God chose and predestined us to be His holy children. But how do we reconcile the idea of God's predestination with the concept of human free will? Today, Pastor Steve brings us to the upper room to find the answers. It's the conclusion of a message called Sovereign Grace, I Choose You. And you can hear the full message online at thejourney.fm. But right now here's pastor steve to get us started
1: we're going to spend our whole day on this one verse and it's john 15 verse 16. here's what it says jesus words of jesus you did not choose me i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide salvation comes from the Lord. And maybe that's, if there's a key takeaway I want you to walk out with, that's probably it. But I want to talk about that in terms of what Jesus says about who does the choosing. And when you think about salvation coming from God, most Christians, if not all Christians, would affirm that salvation is something that God does. But the vast implication that salvation is from the Lord rubs human pride the wrong way when we think about what that means it certainly means that salvation in salvation that God is sovereign okay and if he is all sovereign then how do we fit into within salvation how we are saved did I pick Jesus or did Jesus pick me So let me read this little clause again. Let it sink into your heart today. You did not choose me, but I chose you. God makes choices according to the purpose of his sovereign will, the mysteries of his will. So let's walk through the choosings of God in Scripture, and we'll come back then to John 15, verse 16. But let's just go back in the story. In what, in what clear indications did God choose? Here's the first one. We should all be thankful for this. God chose to create everything. He chose to create everything. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Secondly, God chose within the angelic rebellion. Here is 1 Timothy 5.21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of the, note, elect angels. Wait a second. Somebody elected them? Like, who was doing the choosing in this moment of rebellion? And when exactly were they elect? Was it before the rebellion or was it after the rebellion? Hold on to that question, we're gonna get into it here. But I, as I note this, and we talk about doctrines like this, it's funny how we have sort of different categories. So when we think about uh, Satan ordained to hell, I'm pretty good with that. Are you good with that? I'm good with that. We think about the, uh, the demons ordained to hell. Is anybody, the, anybody upset with that thought? I'm not, I'm totally good with that. And even some really wicked people like Hitler, you know, I, I think I'm okay with that, generally speaking. It seems appropriate, right? People like us? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've gone too far in the choosing. We move on in the story of redemption that God chose Noah and his family. God chose Abraham as well. We think about Noah and Abraham, these eminent heroes in the Old Testament story who were chosen by God, amongst all of the ancient people of that day, why were they chosen? They were chosen by the grace of God. They were not chosen because either of them deserved it. Both of them received it. Indeed, Abraham, Paul makes the huge point in Romans, believed and was justified Before God by faith, it was not his righteous life that God goes, okay, I'm gonna make you righteous. No, the life was after, the believing was after he had been justified. He was not justified by his own righteous life. God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. Now, God was gracious to Ishmael. You can go back and read the story. But Isaac was the son of promise, not Ishmael. God chose Jacob, not Esau. And they were twins, they were in the same womb. Here's how Paul relates this in Romans 9, verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Here's the key thing. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on who? Us? No, no, no. God who has mercy. Where does salvation come from? We're right back in in Jonah 2. Salvation comes from the Lord. It is not our will. It's not our choice. It's not our exertion. It's not our righteousness. But it depends entirely on the mercy of God. And when you realize this, at this starting point, now when Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, you start to realize what he's saying. Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. I don't care who you are here today. You are by character, by nature, and by choice, a sinner. So am I. And fair... We don't don't want fair, okay? People that say, I want fairness, okay, we all go to hell. Fair is everybody goes to hell. Everybody is judged for their sin. That's fair. But Ephesians 1, 4 points out that God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Think of that. Before creation, God began to love sinners. So God in his mercy and his grace exercises his sovereign power and will and exhibits his amazing love and provides a way for sinners to be forgiven of their sins, for sinners to be saved, which some, not all, access by faith. Is that unfair that God saves some. Jesus didn't choose everyone to be his disciple. No, he chose chose 12. And you might say, yeah, but okay, he looked around and he looked for the very best, like the super righteous people that he could have as his disciples, and you would be wrong. And how do we know that? Because we know a lot about these disciples. And we look in the story, they were deserters at Gethsemane, they were faithless during Jesus' internment, they were cowards on Easter Sunday, locking themselves in the very upper room we're talking about. Who do these people sound like? They sound like the flawed people you and I know, and that we see when we look in the mirror every day. They sound a lot like us Jesus you really <clears throat> you need to review your vetting process for disciples because you picked the wrong people to be on your team i'd recommend a, a personality test or two perhaps to weed out some of the bad apples there that might be a help Did you check references on these guys before you assigned them to your group? Because you chose to your first staff some real losers. Why would you choose them? And friends, Christian doctrines that draw lines are always the controversial ones. Lines between the saved and the unsaved, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, these stories that draw lines strike humans as too distinguishing and too arbitrary. And yet, who is good and who is not? Is this the basis of salvation? No, it is not. Here's 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, there's the word, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are Why? so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why is the gospel and salvation engineered the way that it is? We see it here. So that no human being will ever stand before God and go, you know, I had 0.5% of this whole thing. No, there is no boasting about any of it. Salvation is entirely the mercy and the grace of God. Or to say it this way, how much of it comes from the Lord? 100%. How much comes from you and me? Zero. Because if there was anything that we could boast in, we would certainly do it. But this gospel doesn't allow it at all. We cannot take credit for any of it. I heard somebody say, the only thing we can take credit for is the sin that caused Jesus to have to die. And I'd rather not take credit for that part of it. Now imagine the disciples in this moment in John 15, hearing Jesus say, I chose you, you didn't choose me. And they're like, "Uh, wait a second, I think I did choose you. Listen to Peter, I chose to drop my nets and to follow you. Listen to Matthew, who says, hey, I chose to leave the table there, my tax collecting table, and I followed you. And if you're here today, you might sort of say the same thing. Like, I was in college, and and I was in this and that, and I heard the gospel. And I, to me, it feels like I chose to trust and believe in Jesus. This was a decision that I made. And I think if we were honest, most of us would probably say that. Like, you know, I wasn't just laying there, and all of a sudden, I'm a Christian. No, I chose to put my faith and trust in Christ. And here we are on one of the mysteries of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. And I would encourage you, as you grapple with some of these deeper doctrines of Christianity, to get comfortable with the word mystery. Because there are things about this that, I mean, there's reasons that we struggle with these things. And here's one of them. God is sovereign, but you and I are 100% responsible for all of the choices that we make. Now, that's a paradox to us. We're like, wait a second, that, that can't be, how is it all God, and yet I'm responsible? Well, this is the mystery, and personally, I'm glad that there is a paradox, because realize if If it was dependent on my choice, if I was somehow trying to save myself because of my sin nature, I would never choose God. Nor would you. We are lost in our sins. But if we were to somehow minimize God and say that he is not sovereign in that way, we end up with a smaller, weaker, less grand, less glorious God. So to talk about choices, and these are difficult doctrines, Because you make choices. You made the choice to come to church today, right? You said, I'm, we're gonna, we're gonna get up and we're gonna go tomorrow. And you did. And you drove here and you walked in here and you chose to sit wherever you chose to sit. And, uh, you wore the clothes that you wore. You know, you are 100% responsible for the clothes that you have on here today. The good and the blunders. Um, evident here. We're entirely responsible for the choices that we make, and we exercise a kind of freedom. It feels like we have freedom in the choices. God probably didn't tell you to wear the sweater you're wearing today or something. No, you just chose it, right? You just chose it. And yet, God is sovereign over everything. And the choices that we make fulfill the sovereign will of God. And that is, again, a paradox to us. But we cannot give up on the the glory of the sovereignty of God, nor the freedom that we have to make choices, lest we end up somehow robots, and the Bible never presents us as robots. We are free moral agents under the sovereign power of God. The Bible teaches that both of those things are true and they feel paradoxical to us, I place it under mystery. Like, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but God's ways are higher than my ways. The Bible says both are true, and so I'm gonna teach both are true. And we're gonna believe that both are true. Here's the best summary I've heard. If you end up in hell, it's your fault. If you end up in heaven, it's God's fault. May I say that again? If you end up in hell, it's your fault. If you end up in heaven, it's God's fault, such is the mysterious sovereign grace of God. Now, that is not to say that we don't have a role, and I want to go back to John 15. If you would look at that again with me, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And notice now, and appointed, okay, there's another sovereign word, appointed that you should go and bear fruit. If your view of the sovereignty of God somehow demotivates you to be engaged in the Great Commission, there's something wrong with your theology. That is not the way that the Bible presents it at all. In fact, look, at, look with me at Ephesians 2. Here's a hugely famous verse about the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. What does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you. This was all God. This was all the grace of God. It is not us. But here is the very next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do absolutely nothing. No, what's it say? For good works. And notice this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What what these verses are saying is that we are saved completely by the grace of God. We are saved within the sovereign, it's the sovereign grace of God in our life, but That sovereignty and that ordaining includes the fruit of our salvation. We are saved to produce fruit. This is obedience. This is righteous living. This is great commissioned living. This is living under the kingship of Jesus. These are acts of kindness. This is a lifestyle of love, the fruits of the Spirit on display. That that part of salvation is also part of God's purpose and will for us. And so what I want you to see, lest anyone's confused here, is that our obedience to God is not the cause of our salvation. It is the effect of it. It is the result of it. And if you notice that Ephesians and John 15 call fruit-bearing foreordained by God as well, here's what we say, is that God is sovereign over all of salvation. Not just the moment that you chose him, but all the fruit that comes as a result of that choice as well, that God is ordaining and working and active and purposing. And he did that before the foundations of the world, that he chose to love you way back then and to work in your life and to work through you and to bear fruit to his glory. And even those are choices that we make. And yet, God sovereignly purposed, all of it. And there's the mystery again. And so to say it this way, if you are nothing more than a spiritual slug, that is your choice. God did not purpose that for you. But if you bear much fruit, it is your joy and it's God's sovereignty on display in your life. And again, it's mystery, okay? But it's not all mystery because God has revealed some of this to us, particularly that salvation is totally from God, it is him coming to us, not us coming to him. Now, a few years ago, uh, we were in our series in Romans, and we, I think we were in Romans nine, talking about how all this works, and we produced, our church produced a video, a parable of what this looks like, and so I reached back through our team into the archives, and I wanna play it again, okay? I wanna play this again, And it's the story of a little girl. She gets lost in the woods. And dad calls in help and goes searching. Existentially, it feels to us when we trust in Christ that we have found God. And that's great. Praise God. But it illustrates the fact that when you dig deeper into how all of this happens... It is not us finding God, but God finding us. And to realize that he chose us in love before the foundations of the world with the desire to have a relationship with us forever. We respond to that with repentance and faith. And that's what it means to become a Christian. But at the bottom of it all, 1 John 4, we love him because he first loved us. God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the beginning and the end. And so when we say it's all about him, we mean all, like all about him, start to finish, like the whole thing, soup to nuts, alpha omega, the whole thing is a is about God. And so if you're a Christian here today, I hope today's message reminds you to be thankful of God's saving, sovereign coming, seeking, searching, loving you, and saving you, that this was God in your life. And if you are not a Christian here today, I would urge you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Make the choice to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you do, You can know that long ago, before the foundations of the world, God chose to love you and appointed that you should go and bear much fruit. What a great God we serve.
0: Amen. Amen. What a powerful and comforting truth to remember. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the conclusion of a message titled Sovereign Grace, I Chose You. If you'd like to hear part one of this message, visit thejourney.fm or subscribe to our podcast. Well, as we reflect on the love and grace of God, it becomes evident that spreading His Word is a crucial part of the purpose He's chosen for us. Each day on The Journey, we strive to fulfill that mission by sharing God's Word with listeners around the country through the radio and the web. Our goal is to enable listeners to nurture their connection with Jesus Christ, and for some, discover Him for the very first time. However, as a listener-supported program, we rely in part on the generosity of friends like you to make this possible. Your financial gifts play a vital role in allowing the Journey to continue its mission of sharing the truth of the gospel with listeners around the world. So would you give today, your contribution, whether big or small, makes a significant impact and helps us reach hearts with the message of God's grace. To donate, you can call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763, or give online at thejourney.fm. And as a thank you for your gift, we'll send you The Upper Room, Jesus' Parting Promises for Troubled Hearts. In this book, Pastor John MacArthur takes us back to the night before Jesus' crucifixion and reveals the glorious hope we have in Christ. This is Vintage MacArthur, an exposition of the text that resonates with devotion to the Lord and love for God's people calling us to know and love the one who loved us to the end. And you can request your copy of this excellent book when you call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or when you give online at thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow for another message from The Upper Room. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.